So let's go. Um, so let's go about to, to talk about what we began discussing, just kind of to, to a little bit to, to, to rehash and to rediscover um, a lot of the stuff that we were, we were dealing with. And um, there's something called nature. And it all goes back to how we process what happened in, in Egypt. And what exactly was the whole point of, of your test? Mr. Ram has all worked out. And he said there's, really, there's two, different, two different ways of, of perceiving it. The one way of understanding it is um, that in, in Egypt, we saw the power of the supernatural. The supernatural has the ability to triumph over the natural, um, which would mean that there's a certain duality in the world and almost as if that God is in competition with nature, but he's stronger. And we said that that's, very, um, that's a very un, unhealthy, and um, not, not, not coherent perspective of the world, because if you have a, a powerful creator, so that powerful creator has a capacity to be in control of absolutely everything. And therefore, the idea of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim and the miracles that occur is not that Hashem is stronger than nature, but rather that nature is in itself an aspect of Hashem. And when Hashem performed the miracles, it wasn't that he overrode nature, it's that he revealed that nature runs according to his will, and that nature is simply an illusion. But since it's consistent and predictable, we try to kind of reckon that, oh, it must be its own reality, and we function almost, we dislocate it from its energy, which is Hashem, and its will, which is Hashem's power to change at any given point in time. Um, so step number one is a recognition that, and that's what comes out from its rhyme, is that nature is not nature. Nature is a smoke screen that makes us believe that a predictable set of cause and events is actually an independent and up and running um, system which cannot be interfered with. That's an illusion. It can just literally one, one click of Hashem's finger, Kivyochel, can take the whole thing and wreck it completely and cause it to spin into havoc. And that's why the time that we're in can cause us to reflect on this in a much powerful way because we see how literally through one tiny little molecule, the entire world has literally been brought down to its knees and shut down. So that's, that's a powerful indication of the susceptibility to change, which we don't really like to accept. We like to assume that things are predictable, that they're in within a framework, and that everything can be um, forecast. And now we live in a world of absolute unpredictability and the recognition that anything at any point in time can change in our entire environment. And now we want to take that further by using Pesach, by using Yitzhak Mitzrayim as a reference point, which is why it's so implemented in every aspect of our Vedas Hashem, and utilizing it as a refresher that actually nature is just the standard way that Hashem wants things to work, but that can be obscured or elevated or shifted at any point in time. Now, the, the, the power, the power of, of the recognition 
of that nature is susceptible to change is amongst other things, the background to all spirituality and the background to prayer. And now I want to share with you some of um, Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz's teachings because I think they, they give us such deep insight into a way and approach to how do we approach nature and how do we approach supernature, what it's all about. And he starts off with the precedent, and it's such a fascinating precedent of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov is in, um, he's coming back from the house of Lavan, and he's about to encounter his brother Esau. And his brother left, when they left off last, his brother had every intent of killing him and eliminating him. And obviously there's an immense amount of antagonism between them that essentially Yaakov, um, Esau wants Yaakov out the picture. So now Yaakov has to strategize, how is he going to, how is he going to approach this meeting with Esau? Esau essentially is an incredible threat. He completely outmaneuvers and overpowers him with his military might. And Yaakov has to strategize how he's going to approach it. Now, what he does is he does three mechanisms, three, there's three points to his strategy. Number one, he prepares for war. And he's got the strategy of how if one camp's attacked, so then the other camp will be saved. Um, then he, he prepares a, a gift to give to, to Aesop to appease him, meaning the, the, the order I told you in the wrong order. First of all, he approaches him by giving him a gift. Um, and then war, and then he, he prays for salvation. Now, just to look at Yaakov Avinu, who's this spiritual pinnacle of what we can, we can aspire to as, as people. And it seems to be that he's getting really involved in the nitty-gritty of the strategy. He's not like this kind of super powerful spiritual being that says, well, what, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm Superman spiritually, and Aesop is like, He's the evil one, so God's going to be on my side, and I'll just like um, wave my wand, and Asa will disappear. He takes us like he takes the whole thing very seriously, and he starts with the, the gift, and even the gift where he sends him this whole series of of essentially different kinds of livestock, but it's incredibly well timed. Like he leaves a space between each gift, so that there's almost a sense of playing into Asa's desire for acknowledgement and for his, um, his, his, his desire for material wealth. And he, he, he kind of very carefully pushes out a plan that's going to satisfy all those aspects of Aesop's characteristics. Now, you could, you could, you could reason and say, but, but why, are you, why are you going to such an extreme degree? You know, Yaakov, pray, and everything's going to be okay. Why are you, like, so concerned about the nitty-gritty details? And, the strategy of war, that why, why are you getting involved in, in the details? Just that kind of, be a man of, of faith. Where's your faith? Why don't you just trust in God? Everything will be okay. Just go along with it. So this is actually a fantastic precedent to try to understand the intersection between the natural world and the supernatural world and how we have to approach it. And uh, Rabbi Yucham says the, the following thing. The first thing he points out, which is just a fantastic insight into human nature, and the way that we call human uh, basic characteristics, we call them nature, human nature. He, he says, why did Yaakov, the Ramban comments, he said, why did Yaakov go to this extreme degree with all these different strategies? And the answer that the Ramban gives is because Yaakov didn't want to rely on a miracle. 
So Rebuchem kind of puts it out. Why, why is it a miracle? You have two brothers and he doesn't like him. And he wants to try to win his favor. And if he would have succeeded in winning his favor without this entire tactical strategic approach, that would have been a miracle. Why is it a miracle? And then he makes the, the kasha even stronger. He says that Yaakov Avinu, according to the way it's described in the, in, in the, in the Chumash, of the Torah of Alper, Yaakov Avinu was not a person that miracles were foreign to him. When he crossed the Jordan River, he simply opened, he held his staff in front of the river, the water stopped, and he walked across. So Yaakov Avinu was a person that miracles were no stranger to him. So why was he so obsessed with the precise nature of the strategy when he came to war with Esau? Why didn't he just you know, do another miracle? So Rabbi Yucham's first point he brings out is something which is like, it's, it's, it's mind-shattering. He says that to change a person's nature is a much bigger miracle than splitting the seed. And it's fascinating that in English we use the word nature to describe the qualities of a person as well as the natural order of the world around us. And nature has got a certain level of cause and effect. And if I have a certain nature, that nature ain't changing. And if Esau hates Yaakov, that nature ain't changing. And in order for him to break through and to deal with it would require a miracle beyond all miracles. For a person to let go of his normal set of causal behavioral patterning, that's a big miracle. And what he's going to actually take us further in his discussion is to figure out, because our central point of growth is not becoming bigger or becoming better becoming different. And what becoming different means is I have to have a different nature to the one I had before. But changing my nature is a miraculous event. And how can I therefore experience a miracle in my own internal personal life? And that's really where we're going to go with this. That ironically, the point of trust in the natural order and the supernatural order is going to have a direct impact on how I can change my life. Because I'm also subject to the laws of natural behavior. And I always respond to the situation in this way. And for me to change in nature is no less of a miracle. In fact, it's more of a miracle than the splitting of the sea. So we have to explore, and Rebuchem does that in the following um, essay, that idea. But right now, let's go back to his original point. That why did Yaakov not rely on a miracle in this case, since he had it within his power to do so? So <clears throat> he brings a very crucial, um, brings a very crucial idea that there's nature and there's supernature. And we figure, we know that nature is no different fundamentally from supernature. The difference, the difference between miracle and the natural order is only in level, but not in its fundamental um, power that it's controlled by Hashem. Hashem's got two different ways of interacting. He can react in a way which is supernatural and he can act in a way which is natural. Primarily, his mode of interaction with the world is through nature. And there he expresses his primary mode of engagement. But there's a secondary mode of engagement, which at any point in time, he can absolutely um, stop all laws of nature and bring into being a whole new way of being. So, for example, the normal nature of water is a liquid. But in the laws of supernature, when the need occurs, for example, the Jews need to cross the Red Sea, 
So then there's also an order. The order requires Moshe Rabbeinu to lift his staff, and that will cause the shift in the natural order. But it also has the same notion that there's cause and effect. There's just a different cause and effect, but it's all controlled by a higher will, whether it be the lower nature or the higher nature. So there's a couple of things that we can derive from that. One of the points that we left off, which is, which is a fundamentally different approach to the way that we see nature, is that we see nature as one of the ways that Hashem expresses himself in the created world. We don't see nature as something isolated and separate from Hashem. We see nature as something which is a, um, a cohesive connection to the Creator, which means as follows. If nature would be this, this enemy of this mundane, um, godless existence, so we would try to steer away from nature. And it would create a different kind of spiritual path. If we look at nature separate to God, the best way of becoming spiritual is to distance ourselves from the natural order, isolate ourselves, not become involved in the world, essentially sit on a mountain in Tibet and meditate. But if we recognize that nature, nature doesn't only mean the natural order of the way that trees grow and animals interact with one another. It's also the natural order of the physical civilized world, the nature of business, the nature of human interaction. That's also natural in a certain sense that the cause and effect has a boundary to it. So when we recognize that everything in the world is an expression of Hashem's desire. Now, this is what happens. It's an ironic twist in spiritual development. Instead of looking for spirituality outside of the natural norm of what we do, we look for it inside the natural norm of what we do. Instead of seeking spirituality by going and putting ourselves in a situation which is distant from the civilized world and there hoping to find spirituality, we will not find spirituality there. Because we've divorced the basic components of the universe from its source. We have to find within the nitty-gritty, nasty little details of functional life, the light of the Creator shining through. And that's a very, very different kind um, of, of spiritual path. So again, it is, I, know, I know that Perhaps there hadn't been a coherent, um, coherent uh, kind of journey. Let me maybe just sum up that, that journey. Um, what what Yitzhak Mizraim taught us was that nature and supernature are both systems directly guided by Hashem. They both reflect, reflect different levels of Hashem's will. The general approach to life is through nature because that allows us the space to earn our spiritual keep. If everything would be in the world of supernature, so the presence of Hashem would be so blinding that we would be compelled to do His will and we'd have no, no room for growth. So He hides Himself underneath the clothing of nature, but at the same time, just like my shirt, as much as it hides my body, it also describes the form of my body. So the nature that hides Hashem also describes his will. The fact that he puts into the creation the natural cause and effect, it means that he wants us to obey those laws. And therefore, 
when we seek spirituality, we don't look outside of nature, we look inside of nature. Um, one of the examples that Gomorrah brings, and this is a fascinating point, it says, when you study a cat, you'll learn the laws of modest behavior. In other words, implanted into the feline behavior of the cat world is the fact that when a cat defecates, it covers up its waist to teach you a certain sense of modesty. When you look at an ant, you see the power of diligence. Doesn't stop for a second. You see integrity because it doesn't take something which belongs to one of its fellow ants. So you can actually, within nature, uncover a powerful spiritual presence. And now, how do we respond to that? So one of the examples we gave was we, if we respond to nature as a reflection of the divine will, which gives us these little sparks, these hints of the supernatural, even within the natural order, hints of morality, hints of modesty, we relate to it in a very different way as if it would be something dis discordant or dislocated from Hashem. I would like to keep fit. Now, I can keep fit and look at nature as being dislocated from Hashem, or I can keep fit because nature is an expression of Hashem's world. And what would the principal difference be between those two kinds of keeping fit? Well, if I go jogging, because doctors have told me that in order to keep my cholesterol down and my um, heart functioning optimally and make sure that my blood sugar levels remain low, I have to be fit. So that's looking nature dislocated from Hashem. And therefore I have to go jogging because I have to protect my health. If I look at... Um, if I look at nature as an expression of Hashem's will, so then I don't say that I'm jogging because doctors have shown, to, shown me that these are the things that are going to maintain health, but rather Hashem has planted into the created world the fact that a lack of exercise will make me sick. So he's teaching me halacha. He's saying to me, you are mechuyev. You're obligated to exercise because one of your obligations is the preservation of your body. And in order to do that, you have to obey my laws. And I have stated through implication in the world of nature that if you don't exercise, you will not be treating your body properly. And therefore, I do it out of an obedience to Hashem's will, not out of a subservience to the natural order. So even though I'm doing the same thing, I'm jogging for half an hour a day to get that cardiovascular in, but the motive and the intent behind it is a radical, radically different intent. And of course, there'll be times that there'll be a practical difference between the two. When, for example, there's a Torah obligation which supersedes the natural order, that takes preference. Whereas in the world of health obsession, when the Torah obligation interferes with the health obsession, so I'll, I'll compromise the Torah for the health. That's where a normal um, kind of clash would be. Whereas in the world of understanding that everything is a manifestation of the Ratz and Hashem, and nature is one of the ways Hashem communicates how he wants us to behave, then I see things very differently. In the world of business, Hashem has told me that he wants me to recognize that the consequences to my actions. And he set up a whole system, which is so beautifully articulated in the worlds of buying and selling. And there's something called the Kenyan, which is investigating halacha so deeply. What's called acquisition? Because most of the Torah, it tells me how I can engage in the natural world. 
And the pathway to spirituality, to the supernatural, is dafka from within the natural world, not from without the natural world. And if that's, that's, that's a clear point. I know that I've been kind of hovering around this point for a while, but it's such a crucial point and so fundamental in our approach to life that I think it deserves it. So now let's go back to Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is, he has to deal with Esau, not because he's scared of Esau, because Hashem has it that we have to obey nature. And if according to the natural order, persons mid us are the way they work and they can't be broken but through a miracle, and you shouldn't rely on a miracle because that's not what Hashem wants in his primary mode of communication in this world. So therefore, Yaakov Avinu acts with these strategies, not because he doesn't believe, but because he believes profoundly that Hashem communicates through nature. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu, when he sees the threat of Esau, he has to prepare in a way, not because he's scared of Esau, because Esau's a threat, because he's an obedient servant of Hashem. And therefore, were he to be irresponsible in preparing for this war in all these ways, it's not that he'd be a person who's a barbitochen, he'd be a koifer, he'd be a denier thinking that the natural world isn't under the jurisdiction of Hashem. It's such an ironic twist that a person can champion the cause of religion and in fact, he's undermining it through their championing. But Yaakov Avinu being so um, fastidious in the way that he approached the interaction with Esau, it's almost like he was makpit in halachas. He's a machmir in getting every halachic detail right because he understood that Hashem wanted him to work within the world of nature. Not because Esau is a threat, but because Hashem demands us to obey the laws of nature because that's why he set up his world. Okay? So what does he do? So he makes sure that the gift is perfectly aligned to the natural cause of effect that will appeal to Esau's nature 100%. And he has a backup plan of making sure that if there's a war, he has a strategy of escape. And then also, he has a spiritual component that he prays. And we have to figure out what prayer means in this context. So now that's a whole, um, that's a whole, a whole, a whole different thing. Now, um, the title's raised a question which we're going to have to deal with, deal with, that nature can also be cruel. And, you know, as much as we can learn modesty from a cat, but why don't we learn that we should be, we should start a harem. Like, like in parlors. You know, in parlors, there's two kinds of herds. There's a harem herd and a bachelor herd. And basically what happens is the harem herd is one male with multiple females. And that male buck is in charge of all those females and he rules the roost. And he's got all these females at his disposal. And there's a bachelor herd, which is all these young males and they are separate to the female herd. And if they want to get into the female herd, they have to battle and beat the present head of the harem herd and basically kick him out. Now, that sounds like not the best moral recipe for dealing with male-female interactions and how to conquer women. So, so you're 100% right. In nature itself, we have to know how to learn it up. But the point I'm making is not the lessons we can derive, but the very fact that we have to be obedient to nature, not because nature is not Hashem, but because nature is Hashem. And therefore my subservience to nature, uh, for example, has actually become quite prevalent in um, how we respond to, um, how we respond to, to, to Corona. 
In other words, what about saying, you know, we have to have faith that Hashem will take care of us? But no halachic authority within your responsibility has said that. In fact, they said you have to be extremely stringent to maintain distance, social distance, etc., etc. Not because we deny God, because we believe in God. And God said, you have to guard the laws of nature. And therefore, if a person comes up, Reb Chaim Kanyeski said, a person that disregards the laws of caution in regard to corona, and he goes on the street without a mask and exposes himself to other people, he's called a roidev. Why, why is he a roidev? He's a Baal The answer is, when you deny the laws of nature, you're denying God. And therefore, we subscribe to the laws of nature, not because they're natural, but because we recognize that nature... There's nothing but Hashem in the world, which means nature is also Hashem. And therefore, we are liable to abide to the laws of nature, not because of nature, but because of God. That's a radical shift in spirituality um, from the way that people characteristically see it. Characteristic spirituality is looked upon something which is um, beyond nature, outside of nature. And when we say, no, it's within nature. And now what we have to discuss is, so what's the supernatural? But well, we first have to concretize what the power of nature is. The power of nature is Hashem's expression of how He wants the world to run. And He's given us the intellectual, rational abilities to um, extrapolate rules based on the way that the world is run. And therefore, those rules become as binding as alachot. So when you say that the virus is spread through physical contact, then now it becomes halacha, do not go around and touch people who are vulnerable. And that becomes halacha, because we've been given the, the kalim, the instruments to extrapolate from the way that nature works to derive, as it were, laws of nature. And those laws of nature become as binding as any halachic um, law. So I think that's a, that's a very important kind of foundation that we have to recognize because I think it's something which is very easily missed by so many people, and they think spirituality is something which is outside of the realm of nature. No, spirituality is within nature. And now we have to think about, but what about supernatural and miraculous? And that's where we're going to be going with this, um, this kind of this theme. Uh, okay, so now if there's anyone that wants to ask any questions just before we conclude. Uh, yeah, Rabbi, question. Yeah. How, like, at what point can you like look back and say that you've done like enough in the natural world? Like for example, with Yaakov, like how, let's just say, I don't, I don't know how many gifts he gave, but like, let's say he gave three gifts. How do you know that three is enough and not four? And like, for example, when it comes to Corona, these rules and regulations are like very arbitrary and coming around and being updated. Like who's saying that in Israel, the danger requires you to wear a mask, but in Australia it doesn't like, everything's so fluid that how do you know, how can one looking at their own situation know that they've done enough great, great. or responded naturally? Right. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, and I think it's, that kind of brings into the fore that, that, you know, nature is also a sugya, which means it's going to be just like any halakhic sugya. There's going to be machloikism and there's going to be opinion. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out what the depth of it is, but we have to learn it up. And just like any other sugya, really the, 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 the obligation that we have is to be in the process of learning it up, trying to get it right. We never know if we're really right. 
but we have to be Isaac in the in the process. We have to occupy ourselves in it. Great question. Okay. Can I ask? Go for it. Uh, with regards to the story of Yaakov, he also sent ahead of him angels to go check on Asaph, which was very supernatural. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's go. In other words, there's a machloket if he sent angels or messengers, right? So uh, that for, for this machloket, we're going to assume angels makes it complicated. You can simply learn the story. He sent men to go and forecast what was going to happen to Asaph. Okay. Um, okay, Jen, so please God will be on tomorrow to continue this. Same time, 12.30 Israel time, which is uh, 11.30 South African time, 7.30 Australian time. And um, 